and welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. We're here still. After a week's intermission. Uh, for you, it's been a week. For us, likely it's been a week. Maybe you're listening to this in the future and it was instant. But for <laughs> us, we've been recording two episodes back to back. It is. We joked earlier in last episode like oh it's nighttime but like now it actually is like late in the evening we're both a little bit tired uh, but i'm very <laughs> excited to see how this goes i did have a moment when we ended the last episode where i was like and now i get to go to sleep and my my phone literally changed like i, I saw it pop up because it with apple devices it just like happens everywhere on all of my devices i'm surrounded by it was like sleep mode time to get ready for bed and i was like yeah. no, uh, 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 i need to talk about airborne kingdom with <laughs> no 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 apple nice try my phone used to make like a banana, like lullaby sound <laughs> whenever it was like my scheduled bedtime and i had no idea how to turn it off it like freaked me out all the time that's very funny i've never heard of that i was with a group of people and they all went oh when that like came <laughs> on like, why do you have like a baby melody playing anyway i'm a grown man i don't have a bedtime you want to talk about video games? <laughs> Let's talk about video games. We have uh, this this segment on Into the Aether. Uh, we we have two city builders we want to talk about. You have one yeah. and I have one. Do you want to like flip a coin and decide who gets to go first? Do you have a coin on you? I can make one real quick. <laughs> oh, wow. Alchemist over here. <laughs> I will turn this post-it note into a coin. I'll call heads. Okay, okay. More than once we've said we'll flip a coin and then neither of us call it, so I just wanted to make sure. <laughs> okay, here we go. I, t- I took a post-it and I folded it into a little coin, and I wrote H on one side and T on the other. Wow. And now I'm going to flip it, and I'm just I'm making sure that it's uh it's even, so there's no weight on either side. All right, here we go. I'm flipping it. No, no, let's, let's cut to the chase here. It's heads. You're first. Heads. Airborne Kingdom, baby. Airborne Kingdom. It's a game I wanted to play for a while. I don't know why I slept on it, but um, it came out in late 2021. Uh, it's developed by The Wandering Band, and it's a city builder where you're kind of making a flying city in this sort of like, sort of post-apocalypse, but like not like a... There, there's sort of lore about like how society has like moved to the sky in some yeah. ways. You're given a narrative reason to make what's called the Airborne Kingdom, which is essentially this like attempt at kind of like uniting all the remaining settlements on the surface and like bringing everyone together and making this this utopia in the sky. Yeah. So it has sort of like it's very like Middle Eastern inspired in terms of like the architecture and the look of things, which is cool. But it has kind of like a steampunk flavor to it with like, you know, the contraptions that keep your city in the air. Yeah. What's interesting for me, I really like city builders and I find that sometimes they can skew in one direction. They can either be like, are you tired? Is it time for bed, you little baby? Do you want to look at... <laughs> pretty colors and see clouds pass by or like the three civilians still alive need meat and it's war you know i feel like it's like either really like not necessarily in tone but i feel like in design it's either like pure aesthetic comfort which totally is valid yeah i didn't mean for the baby to be an insult there no those are my those are my favorite kinds of city builders to be clear yeah and i am insulted (laughs) (laughs) so like that or intense resource management with like tough decision making. More on that later. Yes. And what I really like about Airborne Kingdom is it's kind of right in the middle where there is like an inherent mm. zen to making this safe, 
like haven in the sky that you can move around. And when you gather resources on the surface, like little planes like pop out of this kingdom and fly yeah. to the surface. And even though it's implied that like, you know, it's it's kind of a post-apocalypse of some kind, the surface looks kind of board gamey. So they've kind of like added levity by showing it like as if you're just picking up pieces from a board game. Yeah. Which which works for me. Even the people that are walking around on your kingdom are like kind of like stick figure E. Like mm-hmm. they're they're sort of like minimalist in the design. But the actual kingdom is beautiful. And my favorite kind of city builder allows you to express your creativity and customize it the way you want. But also there's like something being asked of you. Like you can't just like, you have to think about the design of it. So one thing that's really cool about this whole thing is that you actually have to think about the weight of the kingdom. Cause if you build yes. too heavily on one side, Oh my God, I totally forgot about that. I haven't even mentioned this. I played this game a bunch, uh, but I'll, I'll talk about my experience, but it will actually tilt your kingdom and it will make people unhappy because they're living on it tilted air kingdom yeah uh, like oh all my gourds are are rolling to the bottom side of the bedroom from the kitchen <laughs> it, it adds this other kind of almost puzzle element of making sure that everything is balanced but i think that extends to just like the asks of the player are to really consider all the pieces like the game really wants to make sure that the people who join your kingdom are happy and that like you're not you know building their homes near factories or whatever like you know the things that you can build that would negatively affect the population it makes it very clear so you want to keep those like separate and a big part of the game is you know flying around and finding other settlements where you can ask people to join you and the like main quest of the game is to like ally all the nations that remain. So it kind of has like, at least, I mean, I'm still pretty early on. Maybe this will change, but it has a pretty hopeful like goal to it. Yeah. And other than just like, you know, draining oases of all water and cutting down every tree, like it feels <laughs> positive. Like it feels like I'm actually making a place that people want to be and the game wants me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, which like should go hand in hand with the city builder. But sometimes I think the incentivizing, just making enough money to keep building can sometimes create like a gross disconnect in that way. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I think not that it's a bad thing. It can be used in an effective way. If that's what the game is trying to say about like capitalism or whatever. But I think uh, in this case, like the priority being balance in all ways, I think creates like a really relaxing and positive atmosphere, but also, a game that is like asking you to make considered choices without being too intense about it. Yeah, totally. It, uh, I also just want to say incredible soundtrack. So relaxing. So good. Big fan. Yeah, I, pl- I played this game a lot uh, right when it came out. I thought I talked about it on the show. I checked in between these episodes and it turns out I didn't, which is weird because I definitely played it for an episode and I think just never brought it. But uh, it is a game that very publicly ran on uh, the Apple Silicon Max like right when they came out. And I was so mm-hmm. excited about that that I got it like sight unseen just because it was like, oh, it's a city builder that I could play on Steam on my new Mac that I just bought. This is very exciting. And uh, it ran like fine, not great. But still, I, pu- I put a lot of time in it and I don't consider myself like the biggest city builder fan but I do think what you brought up at the top about that like dichotomy between really like the two the spectrum of city builders being like very relaxing or like really really intense that halfway point that this game finds I think really worked for me and the aesthetic really worked for me and I just think it's like a deeply charming game with some really fun interesting ideas the the idea of balance in particular I think works 
really, really well and is very fun. And the game does get difficult the further in you get, which I, I think is like, it's nice to be presented with a challenge eventually, or it's nice to start to bump up against things and realize why you would want to start over. I think that is one of the things that sometimes I, I can rub up against with city builders where like, you know, I'll play a game like City Skylines, for example, the first one, um, and I will get, I don't know, five to 10 hours into making a city and then realize, oh, only then that I fucked something up like in hour one and need to start over. And that instead of being like, oh, this is a teaching moment for me is like, this is frustrating because I thought I got to a point where like this stuff should be running itself. And I think Airborne Kingdom feels to me like a game that is a little bit more freeing in that regard, where it's like you can massively throw off the balance early on and there are ways to fix that. But I don't feel like I am throwing everything completely out the window if I want to start over and try again, which I think is yeah. a, it's, a, it's a nice dichotomy there. It reminds me of Dorf Romantic in that way, which is a game that is like I've described as like single player Settlers of Catan. Yeah. Where like oh, uh, it's a city so builder. Yeah. Where you're placing down like tiles of land and it's deceptively cruel because in the beginning you're going to be like, this is so pretty. It feels like pleasant type of city builder that I brought up at the top. Yeah. But it's it's like one of those games where it's like, oops, you made the wrong decision eight turns ago. Yeah. But in the case of that game, like it's quickly paced enough that starting over has many appeals. One, yeah. it's like you get to creatively make your own setting again you can also play like in kind of a creative mode i believe where you can just you know not have that challenge yeah i'm learning as i play more of them that i like the balance and i'm also thinking of like what i like about civilization i'm always like upset when war happens like i don't like like it, it, it can be fun but i usually avoid war unless i'm attacked in civilization because i just like making my own space and like researching what i want to and kind of like uh letting the the music and everything kind of sweep over me and like that's what this whole game is about you know it does feel like a warless sky-based civilization in yeah many ways i think one of the interesting things about airborne kingdom and bringing it up right now is that there's a sequel called airborne empire which is coming out in a couple months they say q2 of 2024 so like it's oh gonna, wow it's gonna come out pretty soon it seems like and it seems like the differentiator in that game is that they're adding combat like they're adding combat with other airborne kingdoms where you'll need to like defend your city in some way which i don't know i could see that being still interesting to me there, there's a world in which like oh shit my kingdom got bombed and now the whole thing is leaning to the left like that yes. that actually does sound fun and it sounds like a way of like maybe kind of mixing up what at one point felt a little bit like okay i have this kind of unlock and i'm just kind of on autopilot until this is over so there there is i think a little bit of a fun twist there uh on the other hand there is i, I think what you're referring to that's like you don't always need that but i i think also the very specific choice to have airborne kingdom and airborne empire and like you can go play the first one and if you don't like combat you don't need it and it, you can buy airborne empire if you want to see how that adds to the experience is also very nice yeah i like just see how they exist alongside each other for sure but yeah. I, I really like this game's approach overall yeah uh, so i had a great time with it yeah it's great um i would i'd recommend it and i didn't know it was on game pass and that's also very exciting uh which means yeah. i can play it on the odin which i might do when, yeah. we're, when we're done if i don't just immediately pass out <laughs> i also have a flight early tomorrow yeah we're just adding another whole layer to this yeah this is actually maybe a good segue into the game that I was going to bring up, uh, which is the city builder I've been playing this week, which is called Against the Storm. Against the Storm is a 
game I heard about first from our friend of the show who's been on the show before, Pablo. And uh, weirdly enough, I I just like popped onto Steam on my Steam Deck and just saw that he was playing it and then just texted him and was like, hey, what is this? This sounds cool. And we talked about it a little bit and then I started playing it myself. This is a very interesting entry in, I think, what is becoming a more prevalent trend in the city builder genre, which is the merging, of course, knowing me that this is the game I would bring up, a merging of city builders and roguelikes. This game, I think, has a really interesting approach to it. So I've played a couple of these. Dorf Romantic is actually technically one that you just brought up earlier. Another one that I think is notable, also on Game Pass, if I'm not mistaken, is The Wandering City, which I brought to the show before as well. Yeah. Um, or the wandering vi- the wandering village um, where you're building a city on the back of like this kind of big roving dinosaur like creature um, and you need to like keep the people of the city happy while also keeping the creature happy and also deciding where the creature is walking on the earth making sure it doesn't walk into like a big poisonous bog where everybody dies including the big thing that you built your city on etc cetera, etc cetera. picking people up along the way there's a lot of stuff going on there but you can just like straight up lose at that game and they they consider it a roguelike the developers of that game which i thought was fun i liked it a lot i talked about it on the show you can check out that episode against the storm is this really interesting game in that when we're talking about that spectrum of like what kind of city builder it is i do think because it's a roguelike inherently it leans more towards like the intense resource gathering side of things but aesthetically manages to be deeply relaxing i think both in its tone for the most part and also it's music I, th- I think the music is really calming and really relaxing and i don't really feel like i'm making life or death decisions all the time it just feels to me like i can fuck up eventually or things can go wrong and then a run will end so the way this game works is you're essentially given a choice of where you want to settle your city initially um, and you're given like a couple creatures you have humans you have like lizard people and you have uh, essentially like um I think they're like badger people. They're like badgers. So you have you have lizard people, you have humans, and you have like badger people. And the three of those races are very good at doing different things. Like humans generally are like hunting and gathering. The li- the lizards are very good at specifically just hunting. The badger people are good at like, you know, breaking down wood and like turning things into other things. And throughout the throughout your run of this game, it is very classic like city builder fair where it's like, okay, go find, you know, a resource node for stone and start cutting down trees. You can like set up a little woodcutter shack and you can like mark the trees you want them to take out. And you could like very intentionally take out certain pieces of the forest and make your way through. You can start to set up like trade routes and stuff. And, you know, you just kind of like build your little machine, which is like, the blessing i think of all of these games is like oh i built my little machine and it's working perfectly and i feel great about it the hitch and where the roguelike element of this game comes in is that all of these places that you're starting are procedurally generated and all of them have this big forest that surrounds where you start and these glades that are blocked off by some trees and have like a fog of war over them And you need to specifically order your tree cutters to cut the trees down to break into those glades. And every time you break into a glade and you reveal what's there, 
it'll be like a new event. And that's kind of like the big roguelike thing about it is like those events generally will be positive. Sometimes they can be very negative. Sometimes it'll be like, I'm sorry, you found like a cursed totem and that thing is going to kill all of the lizard people in your camp in uh, two days. Good luck. Uh, and then they all just die. <laughs> and there's nothing you can do about it unless like maybe sometimes there is something that you can do about it. And they explain it with a lot of text. But that is kind of the give and take here where it's like you want to continue expanding and you want to continue exploring your space but doing so comes at a trade-off and you need to be very intentional about where you're cutting down trees and what you're breaking into and how much space you can consume which i think is very smart that's like one layer of decision making that you're that you're taking on a on a minute-to-minute basis the second layer of this is that as you're given different quests that are like hey turn in this amount of beef jerky or turn in this amount of like x item or like uncover three glades or whatever as you continue to to uh, accomplish those quests it fills up an xp meter and when that's filled up they give you and i think this is brilliant but they give you a choice of upgrades right so like in any roguelike you would generally like pick hades for example you get the different boons as you continue to make your way through a run and those different boons give you different abilities that will make your run easier or harder depending on you know what boon you pick up etc etc their version of that and against the storm is you're picking up the actual facilities that you can build so you will like start off with the most basic shit, right? It's like, okay, you, here's here's a little hut you can build where somebody will go and collect mushrooms. Here's a little hut you can build where someone will go cut down trees. Here's a little hut you can build where someone will collect rocks. If you want to turn those rocks into anything interesting, you'll need to unlock that via this XP meter by making the right decisions and filling out the right objectives. And sometimes you just won't get that thing. So you could start building your little machine and feel very good about it, hoping that eventually you'll unlock this kind of trading post or facility or whatever and you won't get it and that means on a dime you need to start like deconstructing your machine and build it up in a new way to build towards the thing that you did unlock which i think is very smart all of this is also set against a timer where there's a queen who is very angry with you if you do not build up your city and her her empire fast enough so all of that i think works very well in conjunction with itself the Second layer of this, which I think is very, very smart, and I think one of the reasons that I keep coming back to this game over the course of the week is, you know, besides the fact that I think it's very relaxing until it very much isn't because it all goes to shit very quickly, is (laughs) if you do enough of these objectives and you fill up the XP meter enough, you're done building that city. And they're like, good job. Move on to the next one. And you then have to pick another spot on the map. And it's got a kind of slay the spire thing where like you can kind of see what's in the other glades you can choose from. And you pick one of those spots and you then start from the beginning, a new city there with all of the facilities that you've unlocked from the previous one and continuing to unlock more in the new ones. And you continue doing this until eventually, hence the name, a huge storm hits and just wipes out all civilization. And I think, I haven't been able to do this, but I think there is a way to build all of these cities up to the point where they can withstand the end of civilization. Oh, wow. But I haven't gotten there yet. So there is this kind of like larger kind of textual narrative layer, um, which I've honestly been ignoring a little bit. Uh, I'm sure it's very interesting, and I'm sure people will dig into it and really enjoy it. It's not quite why I'm there, but I think 
it is doing for me both what I really like about City Builders, talking about Airborne Kingdom and talking about all these other games. Like, I don't like the feeling of, oh, I fucked up hours ago and now I need to start over because the game is quick enough and is on a timer that I don't feel like I'm ever really going to make those. Like, if I make those mistakes, I'm going to be punished quickly enough that I will just start a new run because it's a roguelike. And it also is doing a lot of the things that I like about roguelikes and has an interesting enough spin on it that it makes me want to keep coming back because like, oh, maybe one day I'll have like the perfect set of unlocks in a row where I'll be able to build, you know, this and then this and then this and then this and then I'll be just like smooth sailing. It's the equivalent of getting all the right items on a Binding of Isaac run and being like, oh my God, I'm overpowered. Like that's possible here in a city building context. And I think that's really cool. And that's one of the things that deserves approaching, hey, what if we mashed up this genre and this genre together? Does that make something cool and interesting? I think it's a really clever pairing because I think there is a piece of city builders that has always had that element of destruction and starting over yeah but it's usually optional it's either usually i want to play this game again and start from scratch mm-hmm. or oh i made a mistake hours ago and have to start over or like in sim city arguably like the the blueprint for city builders you could just summon godzilla or yes. like any natural disaster and that was really there just so you wouldn't get bored like if you did too well at sim city and just made a functioning city you had to just <laughs> pull a lever to see what happened yeah the idea that that's built into this game as the final test i think is a really cool acknowledgement of that whether it was conscious or not i think it's a really cool like actual final test of your civilization yeah totally i yeah i i think this game is great um i have played a lot of it in a very short period of time and will probably continue to play a lot of it i think it just continues down this trend i i, I think it's in early access now um but it continues down this trend of like man there's so much good stuff to play earlier this year that i feel like i need to start taking some of these games and like pacing them out a little bit more like yeah. i can't be playing persona 3 reload and infinite wealth and balladra <laughs> and against the storm and hell divers 2 and deep rock galactic survivor and all of these games just forever throughout all of 2024 because i imagine something else will come out but uh man we're 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 in a we're in a good spot already a polite complaint we get a lot about our show is that we make people want to buy too many games and i'm actually getting that now recording this double feature because like (laughs) you brought up like four games that i want to get immediately in in (laughs) this one sitting oh we're we are a dangerous show i didn't fully realize (laughs) until we've condensed it into this single recording session (laughs) but i digress this sounds awesome so this also came out this year it's a new game i don't know i think it might have been late last year I'm not I'm not quite sure, but either way, it's still in early access and I think it's still technically new, you know, Um, let me flip the coin again. Yeah. okay. you got to talk about Airborne Kingdom again. You got heads. (laughs) We just don't move on. (laughs) Just keep flipping flipping a coin. (laughs) Someone summon Godzilla into our places where we live. (laughs) Let's take a break. Kill me. Okay. see you soon. (laughs) We have a tiding from the Aether this week. This one is for Dre from Skylar and it goes like this. For Dre, it's an honor to have you in my corner on the bandstand in board games and video games, despite the fact that aside from trivia, I'm a hazard just trying her best and in life. My world is better because you're in it with me. You're one of the best things to ever happen to me, and I am so thankful for you and the life we're creating for ourselves and our three and three-fourths cats with love, Skylar. Wow, that's really nice. A reminder, if you'd like to send a personal message to anybody in your life or yourself or even just to us you can head over to shop.intothecast.online and go do that thank you so much for supporting the show it means so 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 much now back to video games
Brendan. Steven. Speaking of city builders, I have a fun sort of game uh, to bring up here. Wow. So recently uh, there was a big sale for the RPG Maker series, uh, which is a series of game engines that are, as the title would suggest, specifically designed to make RPGs. And AJ tagged me in, uh, someone tweeted about uh, one of the RPG makers from like the early 2000s was free. And I was like, Whoa. how on brand would it be for our show for me to get the like 2005 version <laughs> of RPG Maker? Sadly, it was a uh, PC only. I guess I could have gotten it on my Steam Deck, but I'm like, I am not, unless I have like another, yeah. it would just be too weird to do on Steam Deck. Yeah. But all the other ones were on sale as well. So I bought uh, RPG Maker MV, which I believe is the second most recent one. So we're still on brand for it not being the most recent version of RPG Maker. But it was deeply on sale. I picked it up. It is available for Mac. I have had some issues it's running available it. for Switch? Yeah, I guess so. That's wild. Okay. So I guess a bit of a background on this. So like RPG Maker is... By all means, an engine. It, it's a pretty simple one, but it's actually kind of amazing what can be made on RPG Maker. There are a number of really successful games that are RPG Maker games. Omori is probably the biggest one. Yeah. But there are a lot. Uh, like this, especially in a pre Unity, like pre Godot worlds, like this for a while was the like most immediate way to like get into game development for a lot of people. Yeah. And I actually, I had. I never mentioned this, but I had RPG Maker 2 on the PS2. Wow. And that was a game where I remember the box was like, please read the instructions. <laughs> really what it was was like a really fun way of teaching how to code and how to program. I mean, I think that game, like it's worth noting RPG Maker 2 is like probably the worst version of RPG Maker. Uh, it was the first one to be in 3D, but like there was a permanent blur to all the 3D assets. So like if you moved a character around, they would get blurry. So like, and you couldn't change that. That's funny. But even still just like, I, I got that game on PS2, like around when it came out. So I was like a preteen and in the early, like early to mid two thousands to have a game that was like, here's just a taste of how games are made was really magical and I think really like helped solidify my enthusiasm for games overall. Like I, I think, you know, we talk about a lot how like before a certain era to most people, the idea of like making a game felt so eldritch and behind this like iron wall of like, you can go to school for this. Like what? Uh, so I think RPG maker has always like been this special moment for me, even though it was like the bad one. I was like, it was the first time I had been taught anything resembling like code or programming. Like mm -hmm. I think our high school had like a very brief HTML class. Yeah. Uh, but like, that's really it. You know, I made a really horrible website in that class. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we learned how to make like a marquee, which was like maybe only relevant in that exact 20 minute window. Yeah. Of just like having text scroll. I remember I, I, in that, I'm, so, I'm sorry to take you down this uh, diversion, but I, rem I remember I sat 
next to a kid in that class who already had like a consulting agency that he owned. He was like yeah. a, a, like an entrepreneur and he already was like making websites for local businesses in town. And I, I just remember every once in a while, like the teacher would be like, and here's how you make a table and like showed us like the HTML code for table. And he would always lean over to me and be like, people don't make tables anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, why are you in this? Cl-? It's like, uh, it was incredible. I just, I thought it was amazing. Uh, just like watching this kid just make like the most incredible website possible while I'm sitting here being like, well, I'm going to make make a table even if you don't want i want to make a marquee that says brendan's website as it like you know scrolls past and we have a great marquee on into the cast online right now we do i, I take it back marquees are back baby <laughs> uh, all you needed to do is make them a little wavy yeah and then it's suddenly very 2024 yeah it's very mv of us <laughs> uh anyway <laughs> also worth noting i've begun my journey in dabbling a little bit in game development so i took a couple classes this time last year uh for narrative design in games and like still extremely early on like i'm still learning a lot about the technical aspect and i'm i'm really i i, I keep referring to it as like my finger painting era of game development so I'm, like, I'm really just learning like what does it look like from a bird's eye view so i can actually figure out what I would want my role to be. Mm, Cause I think yeah. that like, I think I have a habit in a lot of creative endeavors of taking everything on myself and in doing this show, I just know that that is like a recipe for disaster with even like a low stakes game project. You know, it's like mm. even for something humble, like not to say that you can't make games on your own, Plenty of people do. There's a thriving tag on itch for like solo RPGs and journaling games. Like, yeah, it can happen. But I think like for the most part, games are inherently collaborative. And what I really took away from that class I took, and I talk about this uh, with our good friend Alana, who's like gotten much farther in her journey in learning game design and game development. Um, But we recorded an episode for our Patreon about like getting into it. And I think we'll continue making those as we both continue learning more and and seeing what happens. But I really learned the importance of playtesting where like, obviously, yeah, it sounds like, okay, that's important. Of course, getting feedback and all that, but it's really like the game doesn't actually exist until someone else has played it. Yeah. Even just making like a simple text game and twine, like seeing people play it was really magical and and seeing what like everyone's instincts were. And it was totally at odds with what I assumed people would do. Like it's it is so important to the process to have continuous player feedback because mm-hmm. I think that will help you see the true identity of the game. It's like having an audience for a play or, or you know, any kind of live performance. Yeah. Like it doesn't exist without that. It, it's actually one of the reasons I like going to PAX East so much. Uh, PAX East, I think, is is a, a convention I used to go to a lot. And we are actually going this year, uh, you, me and AJ, which is really exciting. Um, not for any reason. We're, we're not like doing a panel or anything. We're just like going to hang out. It yeah. just would be fun. But one of the reasons I like that convention in particular versus like the E3s of the world is there are a lot of indie developers who are there specifically just to let people play test their games publicly. Yeah. And that's like really cool. And it's the whole spectrum of, of the indie scene as well. There's like, you know, the solo developers, as you're talking about sitting there being like, nobody's played this before. This is the first weekend I've ever let people play this. And there's also teams like one of the last times I was there, Supergiant was there playtesting the multiplayer aspect of Pyre out to see yeah. if people would like play it as an esport, And that was exhilarating and so fun to like 
be there and talk to the people at Supergiant and like try that game, you know, before it way before it launched to see if it like felt balanced in any way. That is it is such a crucial aspect of of game development, which I think is really it's fun to hone in on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So as I, you know, exist within this finger painting era, I'm trying to learn like what role do would I want to be in a a collaborative effort? And also what engine would I want to use? I've dabbled in a few. I've done a little bit in Game Maker, which I like but I, I struggle with the UI sometimes. Mm. Godot feels like the one for me that I'll probably pursue, but I've been also drawn to these like kind of more simple, like focused. Uh, there's one uh, great engine called Bitsy that yeah. is like, uh, like you can make, you can make like an eight bit game kind of very directly and easily. And people also do really creative stuff within that. Like when you open it, like I think it's browser based. But when you open it, it kind of gives you like what resembles like a top down 8 bit game. But I've seen people make visual novels in there, like treating the top down screen as just like a pixel art canvas. That rocks. You know? Yeah. It's so cool. So RPG Maker is really interesting. Like I'm, I'm still pretty early on in, uh, in M5. And the first thing I did. I saw that there was like an NPC generator. I'm like, this is my whole night. I'm just going to like <laughs> go in here and mess around. And I made all my Baldur's Gate three characters uh, and That's I made awesome. them like the adventuring party. Uh, yeah. And I, I made them say something and added audience applause when you talk to them. And I'm like, I'm a genius. <laughs> I'm the next Miyamoto. Go to 2024. Go to 2024. Exactly. Um, but I'm bringing it up just because I, th- I thought it'd be fun. Cause I, I want to sort of like journal my, journey into learning more about game design i i would recommend if you are interested in game design but maybe are intimidated by the idea of like a full-blown engine i actually think this is a great tool to use just to mess around in it is more complicated than you would maybe guess and there are options to like totally break it open and write your own scripts and the games that i think have really taken off in rpg maker are the ones that do that the ones that really like okay we're going to use this structure but i'm going to make this my own so it doesn't resemble like the template the game is providing right all new assets from the ground up Etc. Cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I've been drawn to it just as a, as a place that's like sort of a halfway point between like something like Godot or Game Maker, but more advanced than say like Bitsy, where it's like this is something that I can maybe just play around in and test out ideas. And um, one thing that I I keep in the back of my head, there's a great series on Game Maker's Toolkit, uh, the YouTube channel, where uh, Mark Brown, the host of that channel. Uh, also like has this kind of uh, vlog about his journey into game design and he it's really like honest and I appreciate that he like shares the ups and downs like very yeah uh, it's a great he's series. very vulnerable and like you know not only just like here's what like learning game design looks like but also like here's how pursuing any creative project kind of looks where there's like dips in enthusiasm and then there's like you know, guilt and imposter syndrome. It's it's really refreshing to watch. But he also like always kind of takes away really valuable observations about like, you know, when he does get hit by a spell of doubt or like something's not working, he he kind of recognizes why, especially through like interviewing other developers and learning from them. Mm-hmm. And it seems like entering a game project with like a fully formed idea of what you want and dream it to be before you've even like done the groundwork is kind of a recipe for failure yeah. where it's like you actually want to just play test basic ideas first and then build the game around that rather than maybe like starting in the wrong place which yeah i don't say there's any wrong way to make a game but i think like 
for me, like I'm drawn to character and narrative and writing. So like when I, I have game ideas and I, and I would love to pursue them one day, but I also know that like, I mean, it's telling that the first thing I did in RPG maker was go to the NPC generator and it's like, cool, I can make a bunch of fun characters because I'm confident in my writing and artistic abilities. That's not a fun game. That's like all I've made. <laughs> right. You know, like literally all I made is a line of dialogue and audience applause, which is maybe like a red flag. Yeah. Um, so I think having a tool where you can just like maybe make a very basic idea and see how it works and feels and also have an engine that is rooted in a genre that I really love and admire. I think this could be just like a fun sketchbook for ideas. And who knows, maybe if I like it enough, I would love to maybe try to break it open myself and put my own stamp on it. But I think for me, and I would recommend for anyone at a similar level, it's actually a surprisingly like fun and useful tool to mess around in. Yeah, I uh, I don't think I talked about this on the show, but when it comes to the idea of game development, I have historically been like, no, thank you. I have enough creative pursuits. I have enough creative endeavors. Yeah. Taking on another one, especially one like that with that much work that would need to go into it to get even like proficient to the point where I could start to express myself in a way that feels like it would meet my own quality bar feels so out of the realm of possibility given the amount of free time I have right now yeah. that like it's not even worth considering. Um, but when I was in San Francisco and I was specifically, I guess, way nor- way east of San Francisco and I was staying in the woods, I woke up in the middle of the night and I was like, oh, fuck, I have a really good game idea. <laughs> um, and yes. it sent me down this little path of like acknowledging that it was a good game idea and then being like, OK, what are what are some like what are some ways I can kind of explore this? that don't involve like diving super deep into learning game development from the inside out and going on the same journey like you're going on and Alana is going on, et cetera, et cetera. But like it did, it did make me want to like scratch the itch a little bit of like, let me just, let me just poke around and see what's possible. I don't want to make this game. I don't think I will make this game, but like, let me see just like literally the most foundational elements possible. And it sent me down a couple rabbit holes, one of which was RPG maker where I ended up watching just so many YouTube videos. My YouTube algorithm, my for you page was just filled with rpg maker tutorials and i i watched hours over the past like couple months on actually no this is that was the end of december and the beginning of january so it's been from january to now i've watched hours of rpg maker tutorials have never once downloaded or opened the thing um (laughs) which honestly has been really illuminating and really interesting because like when you start to get really deep into a rabbit hole of a very specific like community based around a specific piece of software in which some people are using it to express themselves, you know, just like very, very like candidly being like, I'm just, I'm just making fun things to share with my friends. And then you have other people who are like, I'm doing this as my like lifeblood. Like this is how I'm making my money. You know, as you said, like Omori, great example to the moon, another great example of a game made in RPG maker. Yeah. Um, You mean Nikki too, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There are people making great games and making a livelihood out of making games on RPG Maker. And then there's, you know, everybody in between those two things. Um, You start to learn like the drama in the space. You start to learn the like ins and outs of like the do's and don'ts there. And it's it was a fascinating world to dive into. It also it also sent me down the world of GB Studio, um, which is how you can like make Game Boy games, which is another like very simple engine, simple quote unquote 
there's a lot to learn there and it's very difficult to make things. I actually, I did download GB studio cause it's like totally free. And I just like messed around and I followed some tutorials that were like, how do you make turn-based combat in GB studio exceedingly difficult and takes so much effort. Yeah. But, but it, when you get it working again, like you said with your NPCs, like and the, and the applause, like you feel like a fucking genius when you make it work, but oh, like yeah. it takes, it does take a lot of work and everything that you can do in game development takes a lot of work. And I know that sounds like very silly coming from two people who technically like don't make games for a living, you know, who record a podcast about video games every week as like criticism in some ways. But I think until you like start to do the thing that you're doing and that Alana is doing and that I have been doing for the past two months, it's like it rocks your foundational understanding of the medium in some ways to be like, it is so difficult in some ways to get a character to walk through a door and have them appear in a new place like that by itself takes so many steps yeah imagine elden ring <laughs> yeah right and of course like the scale of, of the production like you have a dedicated team yes. to like shadows or whatever you right know? but yeah. like uh or in red dead 2's case there's a horse team yeah but i think like even the most basic engine you can think of something like gb studio or something like RPG maker, which is maybe even a step up from GB studio in some ways. Yeah, it's like, more advanced. I would say. Yeah. Like those are considered very basic tools. And even those making your idea come to life will take so much work, so much effort for a lot of people. That is really exciting to dig into and to learn and to find ways to take the ideas in your head and make them real. Like I have experienced that with a lot of art forms. And I think you and I have been very lucky to have been able to invest time into a lot of different art forms and get to a point like the point where I was making stuff in Ableton Live when I used to like DJ in high school and do music production, and all of this stuff. The point where I didn't have to think about how the software worked anymore and any idea I had, I could make real in like minutes in that software. I I remember having a moment the literal day that happened for the first time and being like, oh my God, I finally did it. It took literally hundreds of hours. It took insomnia for years and years of me just staying up until 5 a.m. fucking around in Ableton. But I finally got to the point where like, I know what the building blocks of like a certain synthesizer are. And I know how to turn these knobs and tweak this stuff and add these effects that make the exact sound that I hear in my head very easily without thinking about it. And getting to that point with any piece of software or any kind of craft like that, where you're expressing yourself is like exhilarating. And the fact that these tools are like free or $20 on Steam right now, or, you know, in some cases, gigantic and also free, something like Godot. Yeah. It rocks. It's amazing. It's really cool. And I think the, the appeal of RPG Maker specifically is like, just give you a bit more context. When you turn it on already, there's like a green world map and like a team of four pre-made heroes. Amazing. And there's like a paintbrush for like mountains and like, Chrono Trigger-esque Sky Island. So you can just sort of like, it's designed in a way where you you can just like, and that's probably why it's on Switch, you can just like take a mountain brush, make a bunch of landscapes, and then hit play. Yeah. And the game already has baked in like Dragon Quest-esque combat. So like, it's awesome. the thing where it gets really complicated though is like, so all of that's kind of baked in, but then you can go into the weeds and see like what is counted as the actors uh or you know what's counted as the enemies 
um, the classes that are there. Mm -hmm. And then by adding scripts, the irony to RPG Maker is it kind of feels like to break the mold and to make it more your own, you're getting to a level where like you might as well just use Godot. <laughs> like where it's like mm -hmm. you're adding so much customization to this thing that like you're basically doing the hard part already. Yeah. And si similar with building turn-based RPG mechanics into Game Boy Studio, I got to a point where the more of those tutorials I was following, the more people were like, just use RPG Maker. Right. But the Which thing about RPG Maker is like, it's like, okay, like I might have to like break a few of like the, the rules and, and rewrite some things, but certain baselines are already covered. So if I do want to make an RPG style game or like a, you know, narrative game or something, I think messing around in RPG Maker and the term that I was uh, going to quote from the Game Maker's Toolkit channel is like a minimum viable product, which is like a widely used term in game design where it's like before you like try to make your fully realized idea of a game just make like what is the basic core mechanic or idea and does it work at all and don't even think about actually even before you make an mvp you make a prototype just like kind of a, a test idea of like you know what are you trying to accomplish with this game and then the mvp is like your best like pitch at that idea yeah um, that is also just to be clear very common in like the tech space like when i worked at a yeah. startup that was very frequently like our 1.0 of the stuff we were launching was always the mvp of that and like yeah we had a billion and a half ideas that we wanted to include in this thing but we just needed to get it out the door and get people using it literally quote unquote for playtesting, even though this was like a business and an app uh, on your iPhone that that was that was the approach was like let's get people using it because the ideas that we have in the roadmap that we have might change immediately as soon as people start using the thing and I think the same is true of game development where it's like as soon as you get the thing out the door and get it playable and put it in people's hands you're like oh man the next thing I was going to add is really stupid now I should be adding this instead exactly yeah like you don't really get the identity of the game until you've tried it yourself and yeah. seen other people play it but I think like What's really wonderful about RPG Maker and even, you know, simpler stuff like Twine, which is, you know, browser based, fully text based, is that you will learn, at least from my knowledge so far, like you will learn kind of the basics of programming still, mm -hmm. you know, like in RPG Maker, there are kind of two modes to look at the map. There's like just sort of visually what's there, but then there are like events where like all of a sudden it's a grid and you can double click on part of the grid and put like, I want dialogue to happen here and i want like this to appear and this sound to play or whatever mm -hmm. and with twine like you know in the game design class that i took our first project was just a text game and i was really committed to the idea of like uh i made sort of like an inscription-esque like tarot read in like a weird haunted cabin uh and like i wanted to make sure that like even if it was a simple choice the game would recognize every choice you had made along the way. Mm. So there were a lot of if statements. So yeah, like, totally. but it really, it really like I saw when people were playing it, their face would light up when they're like, Oh my God, he remember like the scarf I put on or whatever. Yeah. You know, like it's awesome. You can kind of find your voice and like your creative inspiration, even in these really simple tools. And I think that that will apply to the more advanced engines. If you do end up pursuing that, um, I'm kind of that like a middle point myself. So I don't know. I just, I, I kind of downloaded RPG Maker like as a silly thing that I would maybe bring up. And I, I it's been a really helpful tool, which is cool to say. Yeah, I, th I think this is a whole other conversation we could have and, and maybe we should move on at this point. But I, I do think there's there's also something to be said about giving yourself 
pretty steep limitations like that, right? Something like Twine or RPG Maker or GB Studio being like pretty limited in what's possible there, I think also does bring out more creativity, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I, I have a bad habit sometimes with starting things before finishing them. So like there are a lot of big creative projects I've given myself that I want to see through before I take on more. But I would also love like in the next year or so to like have something to share uh, in terms of game design. So I will definitely keep you all posted if, if that if this RPG maker quest crystallizes into a real one. Amazing. Let's take a break and come back and uh, then talk about video games. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Bye bye. I'm going to put a disclaimer at the top of this segment. I think this might get a little bit heavier than we're used to on the podcast. I think that's prob I think it's probably worth saying. We're going to talk about Persona 3 again, not really getting into like spoiler specifics or anything, but I I just I think that's probably where this conversation is going to go. There are a lot of disclaimers related to Persona 3 about depression and a bunch of things along those lines. I think just like know before the segment starts, it might trend in that direction. And if that's the case and you're like, hey, I'm not comfortable with that, by all means, skip this segment. Totally fine. Thank you for Thank listening. Thank you for listening. Yes. Yeah, we love you. <laughs> and we'll talk to you next week. But uh, yeah, you want to talk about Persona 3 Portable a little bit today. I've also, I'm like nearing the end of Persona 3 Reload at this point. I think I'm like almost 50 hours in, I want to say, something like that. And I, I feel the finale coming on, I think. Yeah. So there's there's a lot to discuss here, but I want to hear about Persona 3 Portable a little bit because this is this is also, I think, going to become one of my white whales in a couple of years that I go revisit this game. Yeah, I, I think overall the game I've been playing the most over the last week, like since we last recorded, is Persona 3 Reload. Like I, I'm not as far as you, but it's been the game that I go to kind of without thinking. Like, I think in yeah. doing this show, I feel like we've used the phrase like go-to game where it's like we have to budget time for what we're bringing up on the show or like what we're doing for a bonus. But then there's the game that we just like play no matter what, even if we're not bringing it up. Yeah. And that's been Persona 3. And I think, you know, we've been encouraged by by listeners to like bring up a game that we're passionate about regardless of if it's come up before. And uh, hey, we're doing that again. <laughs> but I also, I also think we also want to consider like, okay, but do I have more to say? But it's like, until we're doing like specifically a spoiler discussion or a bonus, like, do I want to talk about it again? Or do yeah. I want to like say, put a pin in it and save it for later? Not to constantly like carrot on a stick people with this, but I think that's one of the reasons we haven't brought Trails in the Sky back despite you and I like both continuing to play those games is like, like, yeah, we haven't gotten to a point where either of us feel like we need to bring it back to the show yet. Eventually we will. But like we just haven't hit that yet. And sometimes there are games where every single week we want to bring it to the show because there's more to talk about. Yeah, this is like a, it's become like the seasonal depression living a little, I feel uh, but yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I think the thing about Persona games for me is that. I, I find I'm always drawn to them. Like I, I talked to some friends about this, that like a lot of our friends kind of consider Persona to be like a winter game or like a January game. Yeah. Uh, and I think like, it's not that I, I gravitate towards them when I'm like going through a difficult time necessarily, but I, I have found them to be extremely comforting when I am in the thick of like a wave of depression or, or whatever. Like I remember this time last year i think i brought this up a little bit on our new leaf episode but something that i've been kind of grappling with the last like year and a half especially is i'm realizing that like a big way that i dealt with the stress of 
the pandemic and of that isolation was just dissociating. And I think like, mm. you know, our realities for such a long time were, were very different. And at that time, like I had just moved into my own place. It was exciting. Cause I was like, Oh hell yeah, no more roommates, but also pretty bad timing <laughs> to be like actually by myself for years. I don't think I realized the toll that took until the last couple of years. Cause mm. as I've, resume my normal social life and like gone back to the office and stuff. I, I really struggle with feeling present and sometimes can get to the point where I start to like dissociate where I'm not sure if I'm like dreaming or not. I've d definitely gotten much better, but like this time last year it was getting really bad and it was something that simultaneously felt familiar, but also like was a new level of stress that I wasn't used to. Like I, I was used to like, fits of self-doubt or whatever but i wasn't used to like doubting my own reality or like mm. feeling like i was losing my sense of self and in that time playing animal crossing new leaf was really helpful because it gave me that sense of ritual um, but i was also playing persona 4 golden and i remember like that game just sort of and i think persona games have this effect they kind of remind you what you have in your life without sounding too dramatic. I think by having a game that is based on ritual and that is based on connecting to others and also specifically honoring the kind of like lower stakes, like just kind of day-to-day -day life of these characters, it kind of like reminded me what I want and need to do with my own life. Like I remember in that time when I was like recovering, I, you know, got a text from a friend I hadn't talked to in a long time. Just being like, Hey, I miss you. And it's like, you know, not rare that I get texts from friends, but it's like that happening while I was like finding my sense of routine again via Persona 4 Golden, like actually really helped me. And I mentioned before too, how I, I finished Persona 3 Fez after dealing with uh, the death of a close friend of mine. And, you know, it's never easy, but it was like such a out of nowhere thing that it made me question like, you know, I, I think whenever you lose someone important, it can kind of rattle your perspective on like, what is the order to reality where things like this can happen? Mm -hmm. You know, it's always hard to grapple with death, but I think sometimes there can be losses where it, it makes us like no longer believe in like what we thought was sort of like fundamental laws of like ethics and morals and like living in reality. Like, Oh, well like why would it happen to this person or why would right. I, you know? Yeah. And I, I think the thing about persona three specifically is like all persona games have that comfort of routine and can like help you kind of find that again in your own life. But I think three being very directly about grief and about like all these characters go through that in their own way and then emerge stronger for it, you know, without saying too much. Like, I think every character in the game has a really clear arc. And I think just seeing that at that time really helped me realize that growth through loss is possible, even if it feels impossible. You yeah. Know? Yeah, absolutely. I think as I'm playing through Persona 3 Reload and also kind of in a weird like seasonal funk, like having that sense of routine has been comforting in addition to like the game's navigation of, of heavier topics. Like I think you can critique certain angles of it, I think, but overall I found it to be like really cathartic and helpful. And I hope you have as well. 
Yeah, I think one of the unsaid things for me on the show, I mean, you and I have talked about this and like we've talked about it with AJ and stuff, but like one one of the unsaid things for me on the show, I think, is is the past couple of months I've been going through like a really tough time. Like I've always I I think I think it's helpful to be open about mental health troubles, you know, destigmatizing that stuff, I think I think is really important because it is still so stigmatized in a lot of cases. But, you know, we we have a moderately sized platform. I think it's helpful to talk about this stuff and like yeah i have said on the show pretty plainly like i i've dealt with major depressive disorder my whole life and i've gotten pretty good at managing it and i went to therapy for many many years and like was doing pretty well for a while and a couple months ago it like really came back in a way i hadn't experienced since i got to a really dark place when i was younger like it was the first time since i had like emerged from going to therapy every week my therapist being like you know come back if you're feeling rough again but for now i think you're good you know after years of talking to each other it was like a decade and then a couple months ago it like all came back at once and i just like really spiraled down to a pretty dark place and it's been tough it's been really tough uh doing the show has become more of like a burden despite being something that i think we come to every week being like very positive about and i just like hit a wall in like every piece of my life where it's like i'm doing too much creatively i'm taking too much on at work i'm like just doing too much in general and I don't know why, man, but Persona 3, like, has been the salve for a lot of it. I'm not saying, like, dude, Persona 3 fixed my depression. Like, that's obviously <laughs> not it. Um, yeah, no. To be clear, like, I'm seeing therapists again. Like, I, I, I'm I, working through it. It's going okay. But I needed to recognize some stuff about myself. I mean, it's we didn't say this when we announced this, but, like, that's the reason I'm not going to be on the Baldur's Gate 3 episode. Like, I've just kind of been taking a step back in a lot of ways to, like, make sure that I am setting aside enough time for myself to make sure that I work on myself and get better so I can continue doing the stuff that I like doing. Because the most classic thing is like when you stop enjoying the things you used to enjoy, there's a sign that there's something goofed up there that you should probably work on. So all that having been said, I literally the other day was talking to my therapist about Persona 3 because I was like, I can't believe the more of this game I play, how much its sense of routine and how much its loop has helped me like realign in a pretty major way because one yeah. of, one of the things I've been struggling with so much over the past couple months is like I just have felt so overwhelmed by the amount of things I need to do and the amount of obligations I feel that I have and like I have a pretty steep quality bar that I set in my own brain that I always need to hit on everything that I'm attaching my name to whether that be like a work thing or a creative thing or anything at all and usually my solve for this and what it's been since the first time I went to therapy for a long time, one of the like helpful tricks I learned was like, oh, if you feel overwhelmed with the amount of stuff you have to do, write it down as a list, prioritize that list. And when you write it out, it's probably not as difficult as you think it is. One of the classic things is like, find the stuff that's going to take five minutes, do that first, and then, you know, work your way up to the the things that are quote unquote more difficult. But as long as you start crossing things off the list, it'll like feel a lot better. You know, the stuff you've been putting off, some of that stuff is only going to take 30 seconds. Just do it in the 30 seconds. It's going to make you feel infinitely better, et cetera, et cetera. And for the past couple of weeks, I've had these moments where I've been like, okay, write down everything in a list and prioritize it and do the easy things first. And when I write down the list, instead of feeling like, wow, it's really not that bad. I can definitely do this stuff. I've been like, oh my God, this is impossible. There's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And the aha moment I had over the weekend while playing Persona 3 was like, wow, every day in this game, your character wakes up, they get out of bed. They probably open their flip phone and get a text from someone you may or may not want to hang out with. And Uh then you press the select button and it opens up the network function and it shows you all of the things that most people playing the game are doing, right? 
okay, this many people went to Tartarus, this many people hung out with these social links, this many people, you know, went and ate ramen or walked the dog or did this thing or did this thing or did this thing. And in a lot of ways, it's just the same list. It's just like, you only have so much time in a given day, which of these things do you want to do? And you just sit there and you have to make the decision and you do the best that you can with the time that you're given. And then you move on to the next day. And Something about continuing to go through that loop over and over and over again, especially in this game where the further in you get, the more those options grow, suddenly started to reflect back on my life where like I woke up on Monday and I went to work and I saw the list of tasks that I had and I was like, I only have a limited amount of time in my day. I probably can't do all of this, but I can at least do some of it and that'll be helpful. And I started to chip away at it. And then at night I did some stuff. And then in the morning I did the same thing. And I did the same thing the next day. And I was like, oh, my God, I have like kind of personified my life a little bit. (laughs) It actually has helped me like pretty dramatically. Something something about the routine aspect of this game. It's it's ironic that like it's not even the meditations on depression and grief and all the things that this game thematically are trying to do. That's not the stuff that's really helped me as much as like literally just the calendar routine part of the game the actual like core gameplay loop of persona 3 is the thing that has kind of like switched my brain a little bit and made me feel a little bit better than i have been recently which is really great that's like a really amazing feeling and then there is also the other stuff there is also what's going on narratively and thematically and each of the arcs that you're referring to you know these characters are so well written and all of their arcs are incredible as i said i'm pretty i feel like i'm getting pretty close to the end and uh, I'm, I I already feel myself being like, man, I'm going to miss these people when I'm yeah. done playing the game, which is like not a feeling I've had playing a video game in a very, very long time. And I do think this is going to be I think I said this last week or two weeks ago or whatever. I do think this is going to be my gateway into the other games in a pretty major way. I think um, so. Yeah, because they all they all are really good at. I mean, you'll fall in love with the cast every time. And mm-hmm. there's a thing that this isn't really a spoiler, but. In four and five, like when you beat the game, both games give you a chance to just like, actually, I think three does this too, but you basically have an opportunity to like go explore and say goodbye to everyone you've met. Oh my God. And it's like, it's like weirdly the, the prize for playing the game, you know, it's almost like a victory lap in your day-to-day routine, but yeah, it's the Mass Effect shore leave. Yeah. (laughs) But it's, it's really bittersweet, especially because, uh, I think, I think this is the case for all of them, but in five, uh, the only people that like show up are who you've maxed out with. Ah. So like you can talk to a lot of them, but like you won't get the like special goodbye from everyone. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But regardless, like I I think the game recognizes that like by beating it, you are saying goodbye. So they actually give you an opportunity to. Yeah, um, that's really nice. I've never made it to the end of any of these games, so it, it'll be nice to experience that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think there's a mechanic I'm sure Reloaded does this too, where like the characters will give you an item that you can carry over into New Game Plus, which is pretty cool. I didn't even know these games had New Game Plus. Yeah, it's actually like it's ironic because I think we've mentioned how Persona 3 especially is taking a lot from Tokimeki Memorial, which is a game kind of designed to be replayed. What it failed to take from Tokimeki is the length. Because it's like, I think in some ways, Persona 3 and the other ones are meant to be replayed because there's this idea that like, you know, you're doing your best every day, but you realistically can't do everything. You're not going to meet everybody. You're not going to max out every social link. Right, right. I know you can, but like most people aren't going to. And I think the game, 
also doesn't really want you to because I think the the message is lessened if you kind of min-max it. Mm. But I think there is that feeling of like, oh, if I could do it again, I would like do this differently. I would, I would prioritize these things. But it's yeah. also like a, a 100 hour RPG <laughs> where you <laughs> climb a never ending tower and fight demons. Yeah. Yeah. But all that to say, like, I'm, I, first of all, thank you for sharing all of that. And I, I'm really glad that you've also found like a helpful aspect to the routine of these games you brought up animal crossing earlier i think that's also why those games bring comfort to so many people because it just gives you that sense of routine to hopefully then find for yourself in your real life you know yeah yeah absolutely so i think like you know and, and again like i don't want to say that it cured me or anything but i i do think games can be extremely helpful you know i've mentioned many times how celeste got me through a really difficult time you had that with hollow knight as well like yeah. i think there is just like any other media there's a power to games that they can't cure you but i think they definitely can help you and i'm glad that you've also found this game helpful in that way yeah i i think there's a i think there's like a right game or right piece of media at the right time aspect yeah in a lot of ways for a lot of people as well right it's like oh you heard the right song at the right time and now that's your favorite song and maybe if you'd heard it two days later that might not be the case you know which i think is important and i i think right now for me persona 3 reload is like the right game at exactly the right time in my life to be playing it which is great. I mean, because A, it's been built up for so long by you and all of our friends who have told me like, hey, you're really going to like that one when you get to it. Yeah. But just the fact that it's hitting at this this specific time where I'm going through what I'm going through is like, I'm just really grateful to have it. And I think it's one of the yeah. reasons I'm like so kind of dead set and fixated on finishing it. Like the next time we yeah. record an episode of this show, I will be done with that game and have moved on to Infinite Wealth and or Unicorn Overlord. <laughs> yes uh, which rocks uh, no, that cured my depression yeah um, <laughs> that that just straight up thanks vanilla Weir. yeah thank um, you but uh right now i think this game has been uh exceedingly exceedingly helpful at like reintroducing what was at one point a pretty healthy way of kind of like analyzing and working through the anxiety of like my day-to-day -day rituals that i set up for myself and kind of breaking down that wall and making it feel more manageable and also i think and you know this is more present in persona 5 because it's literally on the loading screen every time you do anything but the idea that like yeah man take your time you only have so many hours in a day and you can only do you know a couple things and just try and do them well and that's enough and you can't really ask to live your life any other way beyond that and that's what I've, I've said before that like the calendar in three is kind of delivering like a message that doesn't feel quite as intentional in four and five. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mean. You know, I think like that existing alongside the sort of darker elements and the theme of death, like I think pairs really well together. Yeah. It's starting to crystallize for me what you mean in a larger sense that I don't want to say much more about until we probably yeah. inevitably have a spoiler conversation about it. Yeah. But it definitely feels way more intentional in three than it does in four and five like definitely 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 i didn't know what you meant the first time you said that and now i extremely do understand that yeah yeah i i will say too something specifically about reload that i kind of appreciate something that i i struggled with especially when i was younger was like this pressure to kind of always be on like oh yeah you know i i recognize i'm like a pretty extroverted person and like i can be kind of goofy and that that is just who i am like if you if you ever meet me in real life like i'm not that different from how i am when i'm recording yeah. to be honest we're not really I, yeah we're not really putting on too many airs on this show like yeah 
I'm aware of like pacing and like, is this good to listen to? But I, I, and I think inherently if you're being recorded, you are like a slightly different version of yourself, but yeah, there's not, there's not like a, Hey, Hey, Hey gamers, crazy taxi, you know, maybe now there is, but, um, all that to say, like, I think when I was younger, I really struggled with this idea that like, do people, you know, like me or do they like the performer me mm-hmm. you know which i think is a very classic like uh angsty theater kid thing to wonder about <laughs> yourself but yeah you know it, it did really affect me and i think there is part of that that still lingers with me and i remember you know sometimes like when i'm not able to be my usual self it's very noticeable mm. and I sometimes let that kind of spiral where I feel like, oh, I've like failed my friends or I, I still to this day have a bad habit of like, I'll just preemptively apologize. Like, I'll be like, oh, sorry if I was weird or like, sorry if I was a major self. And nine times out of 10, if not 10 out of 10, the person I'm texting is like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this is weirder than anything you could have done. <laughs> like, why are you apologizing for nothing? And all this to say, like, what I find really comforting, like as an adult playing this game about like this previous time in a lot of our lives, especially us, like we went to high school in the era this game is set, which I feel like is yeah. extra transportive this time around. I but. worked at Shagal Cafe. <laughs> yeah. I, the, the main character is like, like you've mentioned before, it's clearly going through something like yeah. the, the moments where he gets a text or is like called by someone. There's a pretty purposeful shot of him just like staring at a wall or like, yeah, kind of like he looks miserable a lot of the time, mm-hmm. but people still reach out to him and he's still like able to be there for other people, even in battle. You know, like it's not like Joker where Joker's like stylishly adjusting his mask and like looking cool. Like, yeah, he sounds really sad, you know, but like I, I, I love the animation of like the kind of gentle smile he has walking with his friends after a battle. And this is maybe me reaching a bit too far, but I think there's a lot of quiet power in the fact that like this is a guy who is going through depression but like no one's judging him for it no one's like asking more of him than he's willing to give yeah. you know and i think that it's comforting for me to see that like oh like you can still be present for people even if you don't have it within yourself to be like fully on you know mm. like even if you can't be like fully looking cool joker you can still be the protagonist that people rely on yeah I think there's also some beauty in the fact that it becomes much easier to recognize that in everybody else that you meet in the game as yeah. well. And and I think that that will initially be your way of reflecting on the protagonist and realizing that the protagonist is probably going through something because you keep meeting these people who are like very clearly going through things. But then it becomes the other characters that seem like they have it together. And the more you talk to them, you're like, oh, there is something deeper beneath the surface here that is worth considering. And the fact that the protagonist, despite going through something, is able to help those people through what they're going through, even if they are in denial about it or whatever, you know, regardless of where on the on the spectrum of like acknowledging it to masking it as much as they possibly can, you're able to help all of those people through all of those issues, I think is really... It's really powerful and it's really interesting and is, I think, explored really well across 
many of the social links with maybe a couple that are just there for like fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there are just like a handful of them that it's like, oh, you just put a weird little guy in here just, just to have a good time. Um, this is just a, a nice sideshow. Which you kind of need, I think, to balance it all out. Yeah, absolutely. All this to say, I have also started Persona 3 Portable, uh, just in case you didn't have enough Persona 3 in your life. But I wanted to actively go back to it because we've been talking a lot about like reload as a version of three and the stuff it's missing notably the lack of the female protagonist um who is in portable and portable alone and i had started a playthrough with her like a while ago um so i got kind of knew how the game felt but i've only really played like the first hour of portable so i went back to it i played more of it i'm still very early on but i think it's interesting to see like Honestly, Reload is fairly one-to-one with a lot of moments. Like, it was interesting to go back and, like, now that it's, like, in my recent memory, seeing a lot of the early beats of the journey. But really, like, I, I want to get farther into into Persona 3 Portable before I, like, have a dedicated section to it. But playing as the female protagonist has been really valuable in sort of, like, my understanding of the overall message of all the threes. I think what's interesting about her is that she has like these, uh, I guess they're like hair bands or like hair, hair clips uh, in the style of the Roman numerals of the number 22, mm. which I was like, what is that? That needs to be referencing something in tarot. And it is. So Whoa. there are technically 21 cards in the major arcana uh. and 22 represents the fool. So the fool is both zero and 22. Oh, very cool. And that's because the fool is the beginning and the end of the journey. Right. And I think it's actually really, it kind of cements, in my opinion, the like life affirming view of three, despite all the gloominess and all the darkness that like the game does have a very positive view of life. Because they say at the beginning of Portable, like, they kind of want you, like, you, you can display as her right away. In fact, maybe you should. But, like, they want you to play as her second. Mm-hmm. And I feel like having her be the Roman numerals of the fool, but, like, after the journey has already been complete. And the fact that, like, playing as her is a much more upbeat experience, that the music is happier. Mm. She seems to have, like, a much more, at least on the surface, positive view of life. I feel like she represents kind of what I found the takeaway of the first part of the journey to be. That's awesome. Yeah, it's been, I I would actually like, even in my brief time revisiting Portable, as annoying as it is that Reload doesn't have a lot of those features, I think like they both are available. I would highly recommend if you like Reload to eventually play Portable, especially as her. Yeah. I think it is like, it does feel part of the message. I I feel so strongly that I want to play that game so badly. And I am like, man, I just, I need to finish this first thing. (laughs) <laughs> let, me, let me just finish this first thing and then i should probably take some time away from persona 3 before i come back to persona 3 like i should yeah you pr- shouldn't rush it yeah i think i think for me specifically it's like the next thing for me if i'm gonna play a persona game it's gonna be four and then it's gonna be five and then maybe persona 3 portable or six if it's out before then treat it like the major arcana it's the full coming full circle absolutely uh, that's a great point after you've finished persona 6 diamond right come back to persona 3 portable and like a dragon 9 and <laughs> unicorn <laughs> overlord 2 and the ps7's out astro's playroom 2 baby uh <laughs> on that note uh why don't we wrap up oh, let uh, me flip a coin first oh sure uh yeah you have to talk about uh airborne kingdom again sorry <laughs> 
strike the balance. <laughs> yeah, we should wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, this was honestly a gauntlet for both of us. This was a Tartarus uh, <laughs> thing. We we uh, had to record a double feature. Um, we were debating if we wanted to just record like one and take a week off, but I'm glad we did it because I, I, I'm glad we had this conversation. Yeah, same. And uh, I think it's important, you know, I think the reason we do this show is to highlight games we love, but I think it's also helpful to like, talk about why sometimes more than maybe even like the specifics of the game totally you know, agree. Like, i i'm glad we got uh this opportunity to do so and yeah thank you so much for listening uh you know the drill into the cast that online is our website i'm gonna keep it simple because i feel like it feels weird to do like a, you can find us here after the conversation we just had but you know where to find us uh into the cast that online thank you so much it's got a marquee on there it has a marquee bye everybody thanks for listening thank you for listening bye bye